Well, good morning, BCC. It's so lovely to see you and a, a big welcome again to those of you joining us on the stream. Um, I get the privilege of starting our new season of ministry for Christmas with beautiful trees. It's just a, a wonderful thing for me because I'm a real Christmas decoration geek. I absolutely love it. Um, so the privilege of being able to share a message with you today in front of these beautiful trees is just incredible. Um, but our series for Christmas is Heaven Sent, Angels, Miracles, and Kings. And I get to share with you about angels. Now, angels is something that we have preconceived ideas about, isn't it? You know, I've done my fair share of roles of the angel Gabriel in the white gown at school and the tinsel halo and the wings. Um, done that in church too. And if you Google images of angels, you're probably going to find pictures of these cute little babies sitting on a cloud with a harp and wings, singing glory to God. And it just struck me how when we think about angels, we tend to associate it with the Christmas story, first of all. Um, but we don't really think of it in any deeper terms than that. We can get a little bit desensitized to the message of the birth of Christ because we've heard it so many times before. And so as I got into researching and reading um, with what I needed to share with you today, I was just struck at, by the depth of God's heart and love for us that I want to share with you. So there is a lot of curiosity around the nature of angels, what angels do, their activity. It's something that is very important for us in Christianity. It is important to other world religions. It is important to non-Christian spiritual groups too. And it might surprise you to know that thousands of people, I'm not sure how accurate this statistic is, but I read 12,000 Google hits on the angel Gabriel every month. That is a lot of curiosity around angelic behavior. So what are angels? Well, what they are not is they are not higher than God. They are not equal to God, but they are creatures that are created by God. He created them just as he created us. And they are numerous, too numerous to count. There are thousands of them. In Revelation 5:11, it tells us, I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne of the living beings and the elders. Angels worship and glorify God. We sang about that this morning in, in the songs that we worshipped God with, how they just pour out their devotion and love to the Heavenly Father. They set for us an incredible example of obedience and worship that we can seek to imitate. They glorify God in everything that they do and everything that they say. Nothing that they do will ever contradict the word of God. Nothing that they say will ever mislead you, try to deceive you. They represent God in his fullest. Some of them are messengers, and you probably know of Gabriel as a messenger, and we're going to come to Gabriel in just a moment. Some are minister angels. We know that Jesus was ministered to by angels when he was tempted in the wilderness. Others are sent to protect and to be guardians. And God uses them to carry out functions, to assist his plans here on earth, whether that is to send a message, whether it is to carry out a judgment, or maybe to proclaim his coming. 
And there are different types and hierarchies of angels. So we have archangels, we have seraphim, we have cherubim, we have heavenly hosts. Now, some of these angels in scripture have made physical appearances as human beings. But this was a very rare occurrence. I think we, f- we fall into the trap of thinking in the 21st century that in biblical times, this just happened all the time that everybody just saw angels consistently. But it was very rare for an angel to manifest itself in human form. Mostly we see angels visit in visions and in dreams, but are mostly unseen. Now Hebrews 13 verse 1 and 2 tells us to keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters and not to forget to show hospitality to strangers. For in doing so, some have entertained angels without knowing. Now, on uh, Friday, I was around my parents' house, and we were having a little bit of a discussion about angels. Um, You know, my dad has quite an extensive knowledge of the Bible, and I was sharing with him where I was hoping to go with this message, and he was throwing some thoughts in. And he said to me about the instances that he can remember where Our lives have been in imminent danger, where loss of life was sure to happen. And he has felt that for no other reason than spiritual intervention, that something got in the way that prevented a catastrophe in the life of our family. And I can remember some of those instances going back to, you know, being a child, but also as an adult, where... I've been in a situation and I really felt somebody was holding something back in order to protect me in that moment. And it's just a reminder that angels haven't gone away because we're in the 21st century. They are still here, but relatively unseen, and God still uses them to intervene and to minister to us. So I want to share with you today some thoughts and perspectives around a story that evolves in Luke chapter 1, and this is with the angel Gabriel and Zachariah. Now, the angel Gabriel is a messenger angel, and his name means God is great. He appears three times in human form. So in the Old Testament, we see him first appear to Daniel, and Daniel has received a vision from God that he finds confusing, disturbing, frightening, to the point where it sickens him, is what we are told. And the angel Gabriel is sent to Daniel in order to explain um, what the vision means. And he's pointing to this end-time battle between good and evil, the coming of the Messiah to save us. And then we see him appear the second time to Zechariah, the priest, and then the third time to Mary, the mother of Jesus. So let's just focus on Zechariah for a little while. Zechariah was a Levitical priest. He was of the division of Abijah. It was the eighth division out of 24 divisions of the priesthood. And he was married to Elizabeth. And they were both descendants of Aaron, Moses' brother. And we're told that his character, or their character, sorry, was upright in the sight of God, that they observed all of God's commands and rules, and they were blameless. That is some character reference to have there. And they were old, and they had no children because Elizabeth was barren. And so we can see a similarity there, can't we, with Abraham and Isaac and Sarah. 
So the day had come for Zechariah to go to the temple, and his role was on this particular day to burn the incense and to offer prayers. Um, And from all of the studying that I've been doing for this message, the majority of biblical scholars are all saying that this was not a regular occurrence that would have happened. This was a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for a priest to fulfill this role. It was something that was decided by the drawing of lots as to who got to do which role in the temple on that day. And so here he is, understanding scripture the way that he does, somebody who is blameless and upright in the sight of God, knowing what God has said in scripture, knowing the weight of responsibility that he carries for the people and goes into the holy place, which has already been prepared by other priests ready for him. They've exited and they've left him on his own. And at this point, he would be burning the incense. He would then be offering prayer. Now, a man of this stature, a man of this understanding, this scholar would not, in my belief, have gone in there and petitioned God for personal prayers. He understood that he carried the weight of responsibility for Israel and the people that were waiting outside. It was a, an event full of excitement. If you imagine the crowds that you see outside of the Vatican City when the Pope is going to give an address or maybe they're picking a new Pope and they're waiting for the black smoke or the white smoke to signal a message that a decision has been made. The excitement as people gathered outside waiting for the exit of Zachariah who would then release a blessing on the people. So he's about to pray. Maybe he's already started praying. Maybe he's got his eyes closed. I think that's what I would have done. And you know when you've just got your eyes closed and you can sense something is just happening. Something is there. A presence opens his eyes and is understandably shocked because he's supposed to be on his own. There's not supposed to be anybody in there with him. And he's startled. He's frightened. He doesn't know what to make of it. And in verse 13 of chapter 1, Gabriel says this, don't be afraid, Zachariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. So, Zechariah hears this. He's still shocked. He's still frightened. Not sure what to make of it. And he responds with a question. Well, how? How is this going to happen? Have you seen how old I am? Have you seen how old my wife is? Do you not know that she's barren? And she has been barren all of this time. How is this going to happen? And we see a very strong and powerful response from Gabriel. I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God. He sent me to bring good news to you. And because of your unbelief, 
you will be mute until the child is born. So Gabriel states his name first of all, and he is one of only two angels that are named in scripture, the other angel being the archangel Michael. He then begins to convey the authority that he carries, the authority that has been put on him by God to deliver this message. He gives Zachariah a command to name the baby John. Now, this was unusual because it was customary, as it is today, that parents name their children. There has to be a unique set of circumstances, an exceptional thing that would stop a parent having the right to name their child today. And even more so back then, it was the responsibility of the father to pass on a family name, maybe even give the child his own name to carry on that legacy. So Gabriel is speaking into that. The authority that you naturally have as a father-to-be is being overridden by God himself because God has a very unique plan and purpose for this child. And his will must prevail for all things to come about as God has planned to. So Zechariah finishes his duties in the temple that day. He goes home to Elizabeth and somehow has to explain to Elizabeth what has gone on. But he can't because he's lost his speech. Whether he used sign language or a combination of sign language and writing, we don't know. But somehow he managed to convey this message to his wife Elizabeth and we're told that Elizabeth becomes pregnant and I just want to point out here that Zachariah was the father of John this was not an immaculate conception there was only one immaculate conception and that was reserved for Mary John was conceived the way all babies are conceived So let's just look at a little bit of a contrast between Zachariah's response to the angel Gabriel and what response comes from Mary in just a few verses later in the chapter, um, Luke 1. So Mary has a visitation from Gabriel. She is probably around 15, 16 years old. She is told not to be afraid because that would be a bit of a shock, a strange man standing in front of you and beginning to declare all of these things over you. You're favoured, you're blessed, you're going to become pregnant with the Messiah. I think I'd have a hard time believing that. She's probably thinking, what are mom and dad going to say? What are the family going to say? What is Joseph going to say? He is my um, betrothed, I'm engaged to be married. He's going to think the worst of me. And what we see is not an unbelieving question of how will this happen, but it is a submitted question of tell me how this is going to unfold because I'm curious to know. But my response is one of saying I am the Lord's servant. I know where this command is coming from. I know where this information is being given to me from. And let everything come to me exactly as you have said. That didn't mean that the issues would go away, that the complications would disappear, that it wouldn't be difficult with her family and everything else that would follow. But it was a simple acknowledgement that if God has said, this is what it needs to be, if he has chosen me, then everything else must fall into place. Everything else will be taken care of. And she bursts into praise. 
And we see in, in Luke as the Magnificat, where she declares God's goodness, what he has done and what he's about to do. But in contrast to Zachariah, he was a man who was much more mature than she was, mature in age, mature in life experience, mature in biblical knowledge. And yet what happened with Zechariah was he allowed the natural circumstances of, I'm too old, this is biologically not possible anymore. And even when we weren't old, it biologically wasn't possible. So how on earth is this going to come true? And the angel Gabriel called him out on that disbelief. And he had consequences to that. So let's fast forward nine months and we have the birth of John. Zachariah is still mute at this stage. Now the angel said to him, you will be mute until the baby is born. But the baby is born and he's still mute. And again, as was Jewish custom, on the eighth day following the birth of the baby, friends, family would gather to rejoice, to celebrate. A boy was circumcised at this point and the child would be officially named. So all of those around were celebrating because they knew this wasn't just a normal birth. Look at how long Elizabeth had waited, the shame that she'd carried as a mother who was unable to bear children, and rejoicing greatly with her, saying, come on, you need to name the child Zachariah. Name him after the father. And Elizabeth is very quick to say, no, his name is John. She had no problem accepting the word that had come through the angel Gabriel, the directive, the command to call this child John and let go of their natural earthly authority to name a child. So they signal to Zachariah, will you name the child, child Zachariah? And he signals for a tablet so that he can write down his response and he writes down, no, the child is to be called John. And in that instant, his mouth opens. Now, what happens in that instant? Maybe some of us would have said or taken the opportunity to have a bit of a whinge and a moan. Well, about time. That was supposed to happen eight days ago. You know, um, why, why did you keep me quiet? But we don't see a response like that from Zechariah. What we see is him doing exactly what Mary did and bursting into praise. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And begins to prophesy over the baby John. That time was a time for him to have maybe reflected on what had happened. Reflect on his attitudes. The things that he had allowed to distract him from God's word, God's promises. To now, once and for all, know that there was absolutely no doubt that he could trust everything that God had said. Because it happened exactly the way that God had said it would be. His speech couldn't come back when the son was born. It had to come back at the moment that he decided to become obedient, to call his name John. At that point, he could be restored. He couldn't name the child John before the child was born. He couldn't name the child John until the eighth day. Everything had an appointed time and had to be the way that God had said. So around this story, and as we go further into Luke's gospel, the nativity, we see so much angelic activity. We've already spoken about 
the visit to Daniel in the Old Testament, foretelling what would happen, the, the battle between good and evil for end times, the pointing to the Messiah. Zechariah being told that his son is going to be like Elijah, have the spirit and power of Elijah, and he's going to uh, make the way clear for the Messiah to come. He's going to be instrumental in turning the hearts of mankind back to God. Mary is told she will birth the Messiah. And let's not forget about Joseph. Joseph was spoken to by an angel three times in a dream. The first dream was to tell him, look, Mary is telling you the truth. She's not lying about this. She hasn't been unfaithful to you. She has been chosen by me to bear the Messiah. You need to support her in this. He was then visited again in a dream after the birth of Jesus to say, look, Herod is trying to kill your child, the Messiah, and you need to protect him. So flee, don't go back home, go to Egypt. And then a third time in a dream to say, hey, Herod has now died. It is safe to return home. The shepherds are out in a field, minding their own business, tending to their flocks, and an angel appears telling them that there is good news for all, that a Messiah will be born for the redemption of man. And they immediately believe and get up and go in search of the baby Jesus. And the wise men were even warned to not go back to Herod, to not reveal the location of the child. Can I just ask the worship team to come back at this point? You see, the birth of Jesus... And the events leading up to it, during it, and after it were surrounded with so much angelic activity that we don't see it of that level anywhere else. Unlike any event in history. The greetings that the various angels brought, I bring you great tidings of great joy. These were not simple pleasantries. They weren't just Christmassy messages that we send to each other. It wasn't just a message that was the absence of bad news, but it was the truest form of the gospel being presented to those individuals. A Messiah to bring redemption to mankind once and for all. You see, God's plan is so intricate and detailed. Scripture has foretold the coming Messiah. God went to incredible lengths to make sure that it not only happened, but that it was protected afterwards so that scripture could be fulfilled. Zachariah would have been someone praying earnestly over decades with his wife Elizabeth that God would answer his prayer, that God would give him a son. And on that day in the temple, he's praying for Israel. He's praying for their release from oppression that God would meet them where they were and send a Messiah. And he had no way of knowing that that very prayer for the nation of Israel would be answered by answering his other personal prayer of a son, a son that had such incredible links and ties to the Messiah. It could not come at any other time. John could not have been born at any other time because he had such a crucial role to play in the life leading up to the arrival of the Messiah. 
What can we take away from Zachariah's response, from Mary's response, from that which the angels shared over those events? Well, I think that Zachariah had probably come to a place where personally he'd maybe given up on the things that he was really seeking God for. It's too late now. I'm too old. My wife is too old. This is not going to happen. And allowing that set of circumstances to dictate what he could believe that came from the mouth of God. He knew scripture. He knew that the Messiah would come and yet he could not see that because of circumstance in front of him. Did it change God's plans? Did the way that Zachariah reacted change what God was able to do? Absolutely not. God would make a way whatever it took. It didn't matter whether people believed or not, there was a way. But we see this incredible change in Zechariah, one that is submitted to God, one that has accepted that I can trust completely everything God has said and promised and know it to be true. And I get to play a part in that. However big or small, God has woven all those things together. So maybe today something that you need to take away and think about is what do I need to stop concentrating on that is detracting from what God has said? Am I giving up on the things that I've been pressing into and praying for and asking God to do? But I think the greatest message is this. You may or may not have an active living relationship with God today, but there was no denying that nothing was coincidental in the events around the nativity it was a completely perfectly laid out plan that shows God's heart and his love to each one of us he protected it fiercely so that it would happen there were no inconsistencies there were no discrepancies nobody got in the way of his plan and that redemption is ours because of that plan I want to leave you today with this quote from a commentary that I was reading by David Guzik. He's talking about just how there is no coincidence between all the events leading up to the birth of the Messiah and what that means for us. You see, if there was no Zachariah, there is no John the Baptist. And if there is no John the Baptist, There is no herald announcing the coming of the Messiah. And if there is no herald announcing the coming of the Messiah, the prophecies in the Old Testament regarding the Messiah are unfulfilled. And if any of the prophecies of the Old Testament regarding the first coming of the Messiah are unfulfilled, then Jesus did not fulfill all things. And if Jesus did not fulfill all things then he did not complete God's plan of redemption for you and I. And we must perish in our sins. But we know that God did accomplish all of those things. Nothing was left undone. Everything happened as it had been foretold. And that was the depth and the extent of the good news that the angels were bringing in this season. Redemption for us, eternal life, 
with the Messiah. Let's stand and let's worship him.